idea how to come into today's show so there's some music from firestarter <laughs> and a good hearty welcome to good movie monday my name's glenn cochran the other guy's ben helwig this is the weekly podcast dedicated to nerdy cinematic ramblings do you like firestarter ben that's a daddy daughter movie i have actually never seen firestarter oh, well, you've got now you've got two to catch up I on three I've, if you I've consider seen, the sequel i haven't seen any of the movies that you've uh <laughs> chosen music for this episode <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Well, what are you here for? <laughs> I sometimes, sometimes I don't know. I ask myself, like, do you have, do you have you watched any movies at all, Ben? It makes me wonder. <laughs> hey, we have a special guest on today's show. Actor, writer, producer, Michael Lombardi. He's not at the desk. He can no. stop looking around. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a sight gag on a podcast. Oh. It's my stock and trade, my friend. He was uh, he was one of the main um, cast members on that TV series, uh, Rescue Me, with Dennis Leary. Do you remember that one? I do, where he's the uh, fireman. That's right. They, I think they were all firemen. They're all firemen. <laughs> it's a show about a bunch of New York firefighters. This year, he's been catching people's attention with the new Daddy Revenge horror movie called The Retaliators. And that's had a digital release recently. So we're going to mark the occasion and seize the opportunity to talk about Daddy's Little Girl movies. That's the that's the theme of the today's theme of the show. show. We actually played uh, that film at Monsterfest last year. Retaliators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit of a banger. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, first and foremost, happy new week to you, mate. Yes. Yeah, it all starts again. <laughs> How have you been for the last week? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. I've been, uh, yeah... Working hard or hardly working. Preparing for the show. Prepare, like non-stop preparing <laughs> for the show. Actually, I watched I watched both my films nice and early on Thursday, one after the other. And I was, I was, uh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm really happy with this week because sometimes I don't have as much time as I would like to prep for the show. Yep. And so it's usually one new film that I haven't seen before and one film that I, you know, that I'm familiar with, and it's 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 difficult when you do it that way because you never know if the film that you're watching for the first time is actually going to be any good. That's right. And you're just like, oh, <laughs> can't talk about that. Can't can't talk about that on Good Movie Monday because it's a shit movie. Well, I went down that road this week with one that I'd never seen before and watched it specifically for this show, so it's a good thing I liked it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, me too. Like, I've, I mean, both of these movies are ones that I've been meaning to watch for years. Sure. Um. And so it was like, I think that's the thing, which I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but at the start of the year, when you were like, you know, if you got any ideas for theme, yep. for themes for the show, I just looked through, looked at my Blu-ray collection and I was like, I really want to watch that, but I, I just never got around to it. <laughs> so I just built themes around the movies that I wanted to watch yep. uh, to force myself to watch them. The downside of that is I have the memory of a goldfish, <laughs> and then when you when you tell me what the theme for next week is, 
I'm like, who thought of that I stupid know. theme? <laughs> what a, like, what are we going to do one of mine? And they're oh, it is one yeah, of mine. And what were the films that I wanted to talk about? No idea. <laughs> yeah, well, I had that moment this week, and I'll, I'll actually explain that in a little bit. But yeah, this was your your choice for theme, and that's because Retaliator's interview came along. And I'm like, how the hell are we going to tie this in? And you had that light bulb moment. You're like, hang on. Daddy's little girl. <laughs> yeah. I, well, funnily enough, I thought... You know, at the time, I was like, it would give me the perfect excuse to watch Hardcore, which I've never seen. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've, I've had on Blu-ray for years. Yep. Well. Did not watch Hardcore. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing with Daddy's Little Girl as a theme, it could go in any direction. Because on, on one any hand, direction. you've got Death Wish. On the other hand, you've got What a Girl Wants. You know? Yeah. Which I know that's one and of the one, The one that I, was, I kept thinking of, what's the one, uh, and now I can't remember the guy's name. He's uh, Ron Swanson in Parks and Rec. Oh, um, Nick Swartz. No, no, um, Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. Yeah. And there's the one with, with him and his daughter in the band just yes! before she goes off to college. And I was like, oh, I really wanted to watch that. That was good. I like that one. I don't remember um, what it's called. Yeah. Oh, damn it. Anyway, it's also October, so there's plenty of horror. There's a lot of horror, yeah. Kind of movies. And that's, I just went, I just went with, no, <laughs> one horror and one. Uh, yeah, I kind of went the same one. One. One sort of, you know, edgy movie and then one light and fluffy one. But anyway, speaking of October, uh, how's your Halloween viewing been coming along? Has it been coming along? <laughs> Have you caught much? I, ha- I look, I've, I've, I've watched a new Halloween film. <laughs> or two. Or two. <laughs> I watched- uh, yeah, actually, I, f- I had to finish because, you know, as as listeners will discover later in the, in the week when they watch our uh, Facebook videos, yeah. our YouTube videos, yeah. which they... Uh, all do. Yeah, of course. Uh, we went to the premiere of uh, Halloween Halloween Ends. Yep. And I had to catch up, catch up and watch <laughs> the second half of uh, Halloween Kills <laughs> yeah. because I kind of stopped halfway through. And I don't regret that decision, having watched <laughs> the second half of it. Because it only gets... Like, I, I kind of... En- I actually kind of enjoyed the beginning part with the cops and the <laughs> going through the house. I kind of thought, why didn't they do that in the first yep. Halloween reboot? Mm-hmm. But then it just got kind of silly. Yep. After that, I mean, yeah, you know, any time where somebody gets gets a gun knocked out of their hand, but it turns around and shoots them <laughs> yeah. themselves in the face, that's a that's a aces in my book. And but <laughs> the annoying kids, they only killed one of the annoying kids. <laughs> well, have that rant on the video, my friend. Yeah. I actually watched the new Hellraiser last week. That movie dropped onto Netflix or one of the streaming services. Yeah, I couldn't be more enthusiastic. I thought it was shithouse. And yet, people seem to be glowing about it. All the reaction I've seen on the internet. I mean... Yeah, I'm I'm seeing both sides, but usually it's the the vitriol at the moment's winning out. Yeah. I don't get it. I just didn't like it. Anyway. But that's the thing. That's I mean, I always think that's the thing with these new movies. They're not for fans of the franchise, really. Like, they're trying to cater to them, yeah. but they're really for... Newcomers. Yeah, 16-year-olds who won't watch a movie made yep. more than five years ago. Yep. I completely agree with you, and Clive Barker seems to have uh, jumped on the bandwagon praising this one. And he's like, well, ooh. I'm sure they back, backed up a Brinks I feel truck. Like, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like he's uh, he's sort of preaching to the choir and the, and the, and the woke train, because he goes, I'm now going to have to re- go back and... And write a new book with the female Cenobite, you know, like yeah. female Pinhead. It's like, just give us something new, mate. I just, I don't understand why she had to be Pinhead. Well, that's there's right. There's the other Cenobite, there's the female Cenobite. This is the thing, right? So, I mean, we're going on massive tangent here. Hey, but the original Hellraiser is a daddy-daughter film, so there's that. But, um, <laughs> come to daddy. It is. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a daddy-daughter and a, and a, <laughs> uncle. And a mother-uncle. Is it... <laughs> 
Is it her like, mother or is it her stepmother? Stepmother. Stepmother. But, uh, stepmother and the uncle. But yeah. she's trying to she's trying to help the dad. Anyway, um, where was I going with this? I've forgotten. <laughs> I had a point. Uh, I had a point. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't help you there, mate. No, you can't. Fuck me. Anyway. No, thank you. That's a really Maybe frustrating point in the show for listeners. <laughs> he was really on a roll then. He was on a... He's mid-rant. <laughs> Nearly spat water at you yeah, again. again. Far out. Anyway. Oh, no, that was my point. We're back to it. So the whole Hellraiser thing that I've been banging on for years is Pinhead was only applicable to the first one, two, and three. Like... Clive Barker's story, he wasn't a central character. He didn't even have a name. No, even in the... Okay, okay, admittedly, I've seen... I've only seen one and three. Yeah. And three was now 25 years ago. Yep. And I I watched it for for dodgy reasons. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Which I won't go into. Uh, So I could only really talk about the first one. Yeah. And the first one, like, yes, Pinhead is the main Cenobite, but... That doesn't that doesn't mean much. Like he, he literally have... has a couple of lines. Yeah, this is the point. Like his whole purpose is that he is just one of Hell's servants. He's just right? one of the three. Yeah, and therefore he's the one that talks because he doesn't have the hooks in his. And mouth. I would always, and he's the one that's you know human story. We didn't even know that at the time was educated, right? So he had the yeah. smarts. But the whole point of Hellraiser to me isn't Pinhead. And so if you want to improve Hellraiser or make it good again. Don't focus on the boogeyman. Yeah, what's his name is the main villain? Frank. Yeah, that's right. The humans, the villains, right? Frank is Julia the villain. in part two is the yeah. monster, right? And Clive Barker originally wanted her to be the focus of the, the film as the you know, the Freddy Krueger of Hellraiser. Yeah. And it's just the fans latched onto the image. And that's the thing that doesn't also doesn't make sense really about <laughs> the first Hellraiser. Yeah. Is that like Frank is into all the weird fucking S and M shit. Yeah. But the uh, Julia isn't. No. No. She's just... She's just... Uh, she gets a thirst for blood later. Like, but it's not... She Yeah, she enjoys the killing the dudes, but it's yeah. like... That, yeah, it's like an S&M thing. Yeah. Receiving, receiving and giving a different thing. <laughs> That's right. She seems to be into the giving of pain, not into the receiving of it. Yeah. So the whole point of the box and stuff, she wouldn't be into that. No. You know, all no. The... She just wanted Frank. Yeah. That's all it was. Anyway, what a tangent. Um, better get the show actually started. We should call it <laughs> Geriatric Movie Monday. <laughs> Well, if we keep going, it'll become that. It'll become that, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, so I assume that everybody that listens to this show listens to us on the Newsly app. I mean, that's that's the, the premier place to get us. You know what they say about assumptions, Glenn? Well, They're often correct. We would no. like you. We would like you to listen to us on the Newsly app. Please download that app onto your phone. It's completely free and... Uh, it is, uh, yeah, it's a super app that just tailors news to your liking. You can punch in your criteria and it will funnel the news you want to hear. Or it could be, you know, other podcasts. There's lots of other podcasts on and there. And if there is nothing that we have not learnt, if there's anything that we have learnt from the internet, is yeah. that uh, people like being in a sounding bell, a sounding chamber yeah. of their own ideas, yeah. echoed back at them uh, right. over and over again. Yeah, I, yeah. It's my, my favourite episode of uh, uh, it's, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia yeah. is the one where he figures out how to sleep with... Uh, <laughs> And asleep with uh, with hipsters or whatever they are, whatever yeah. she is. Goes, all he does is just repeat back to her exactly what she says. <laughs> <laughs> and your next minute, he's sleeping with her. So you win me over. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, anyway, get that podcast. And if you want a month of free premium service, we have a code for you. Monday without the O, M-N-D-A-Y. Grab it now. Uh, no other episode of Good Movie Monday is without uh, is complete without the help of our friends. So coming up, we have Jarrett from Monster Fest. He's going to give you all the uh, new release information for the week. Guillermo Troncoso from Screen Realm has the movie news and those cheeky fellas from Bonehead Weekly 
in Kentucky have uh, their own little slant on today's theme as well. So keep listening. That's coming up, plus our interview with Michael Lombardi. It's a chock-a-block show, mate. Chock-a-block. Full of beans. <laughs> hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Let's start with some news. After opening in cinemas last Thursday, David Gordon Green's finale in his Halloween trilogy, Halloween Ends, is scheduled to hit home entertainment locally on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD on January 25th, just in time for the public holiday on the 26th, which means you can spend Australia Day, or whatever you prefer to call it, with Michael Myers. Now moving on to this week's new releases, first up we've got Umbrella, and they're releasing Midnight Spares on Blu-ray. This one's joining the Ozploitation Classics line, and Quinton Masters' Aussie Sprint Car Racing Flick comes loaded with special features, and also includes a 16-page comic book adaptation by Dark Oz, the mob behind the comic book adaptations of Death Cheaters and Stunt Rock, that came with their respective Ozploitation Classic Blu-rays. Next up from Umbrella, The Possessed. It's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. This one's a demonic possession horror and it's from Aussie genre filmmaker Chris Sun, the guy behind Charlie's Farm and Boar. Now the Blu-ray comes complete with everything from interviews to deleted scenes to bloopers. Moving on to Viavision and they're releasing a batch of cinema classics to their imprint line, including Storm Center, I Am The Law and Golden Boy. Then Roadshow are releasing a pair of recent theatrical releases on DVD. Yes, just DVD, no Blu-ray. The first up, Jeepers Creepers Reborn, the fourth film in the Jeepers Creepers franchise. And good luck to you, Leo Grande, on DVD. Also from Roadshow and from the Warner catalogue, they're releasing Mortal Kombat Legends Snowblood on Blu-ray and DVD. This is actually an R-rated animated affair. Do you remember when they had to sanitize the video game of Mortal Kombat on consoles back in the 90s? Well, now they're releasing R-rated animated content from the Mortal Kombat universe. It's crazy. Then the last distributor I will mention for this week is Madman, and from the Acorn Media Catalog come two Shutter Originals, The Amusement Park coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. This is the once thought to be lost George A. Romero film. Then this is Guar coming out on Blu-ray and DVD, a feature documentary on the intergalactic barbarian metal band. Then also from Mad Men, Flux Gourmet is hitting DVD. This is the latest feature from acclaimed filmmaker Peter Strickland. Then the last title I'll mention that Mad Men are releasing is from the Defiant Screen Entertainment catalogue and it's called The Curse of Rosalie. It's coming out on DVD. This is the next film to feature the Black Phone's breakout actor Madeline McGraw. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. So until next time, stay physical. Dude, that good luck, Leo Grand. That, if you ever want to see Emma Thompson get nutty and dirty, that's the movie you want to watch. I thought that that <laughs> if you wanted to see that, you'd watch The Tall Man with Jeff Goldblum. Well, that depends. Depends what end of the spectrum you yeah. <laughs> you want to see her. I actually really, really like that movie. It, yeah. it is. It's a sexy movie, and she's very sexy in it. And it, are man, we talking about the tall man or <laughs> Leo Grand? Well, you know, take your pick. You can start with the tall man and work your way towards it. Yeah. <laughs> Finish off with Leo Grand. Do you remember when she was on the Young Ones on that uh, yeah. University Challenge episode? Yeah. She, uh, yes, I remember her being very attractive <laughs> That's back right. then. And you're like, ah. I still find her very attractive in a very milfy, gilfy kind of way. So. Uh, she's, she's okay. She's no Sandra Bullock. <laughs> well, Sandra Bullock is what, about 20 years behind? I don't know. Oh, maybe. Anyway, also... I uh, don't see numbers, Glenn. <laughs> neither do I. That's my point. <laughs> 
And I'm, I'm actually looking forward so to perverted. Jeepers Creepers Reborn. That's just in time for Halloween. Haven't caught it yet. Missed the screenings. And But can't go without mentioning that Guar documentary that Jared just mentioned. It's fucking awesome. Have you watched that? I haven't. We wanted it for uh, Monster Fest last year and uh, it didn't happen. It ended up on Shudder. They've just released it onto physical media. Far out. It's great. Like, it's better than I could have imagined. Like, it's everything you wanted from a Guar doco. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it really good. It's a deep dive, too. Yeah, right. I used to love it when... Um, It'd be like if somebody made a Tism doco. Yeah. You're like, yes, I'd I want to fucking I know. I would be into that. Yeah. All my friends have had more sex than me. <laughs> Fact. I'm a wanger. I'm a wanger. I'm a wanger. I'm a wanger. Uh, if you're one of our new listeners, you probably have no idea what the fuck is going on here. But um, Jarrett, he's a good mate of ours and he is from Monster Fest, as are you, our ever-reliable co-host. And um, speaking of Monster Fest, that's right around the corner, mate. Yes, it is. Gearing up. Um, and I think last week you guys just dropped the new or the first wave of programming as well as the artwork. The first wave of programming for Melbourne? Yes. Uh, I believe later this week mm-hmm. will be the first wave announcement for, the rest. Uh, for uh, Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide and Perth. Perth. Yes. So the Melbourne leg is November 24th to December 4th. Some of the movies that that you guys dropped uh, last week at the uh, the price we pay, mm. which is, uh, is that the director of Midnight Meat Train? Yeah, Ryuhi Kitamura. Yeah. I hope I'm getting that right. I <laughs> should have had notes. <laughs> uh, there's a movie there called The Offering. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that one, but it, I think it sounded pretty good when I read about it. The Cost. That's the... The uh, Cost. Ma- ma- the Cost. The Cost. <laughs> Touching Cloth. Do you remember that TV show? Yeah, no, The Cost. Uh, Matthew Holmes. Uh, Which is a new sort of revenge thriller. It's pretty hard-edged, I believe. And we, you know, he's a friend of the show. We've had him on twice. Love what he does. He's the guy that made The Legend of Ben Hall. So this is a uh, this is a new kind of direction for him. Yeah. He's been doing historical sort of Bushranger type of movies. And this one is a contemporary hardcore kind of thriller. Tale of Revenge. Yes. Uh, on the Edge. Is that the new Soska Sisters one? Yeah. Yeah, and that movie is uh, <laughs> full on. Yeah, in so a this great is way. what it's it's their first original in a while, isn't it? Because they've been doing sort of other people. They've had yeah or... other. No, I think they they've still been writing most of their stuff, but they've it's been based on other people's yeah. uh, IP. Yes, to right. use the the Hollywood term. So you see no evil two uh, and your um your rabbit rabbit and, and yeah, stuff like gotcha. that. Yeah. Um. So this one, this one is it like it's it's a bit different. It's not uh kind of your kind of hardcore more slashery type type uh horror film it's um it's a lot darker it's actually a lot darker than that yeah, it's right. a lot more full on and uh cool yeah i think i think fans are going to be uh, uh pretty impressed by it. i mean the soska sisters friends of monster fest in general you know well i think we've played I'm trying to think now i think we've played every one of their films yeah, or right. or tr- you know if we missed one it was because it was owned by a conglomerate who wouldn't let us play it, but we have tried and to play every single one of their films. I think the only one we didn't play was Dead Hooker in the Trunk. Yeah. Because, because they hadn't m- been on the map yet. Like, well, no, Monster Fest didn't exist then. Oh, right. There you go. That's why. <laughs> um, well, there yeah. you go. They, and and they're, they're, for a while there, they were like mascots of Monster Fest. Like they came yeah. down. I think you chaperoned them, but that was fun. Yeah. we've we, They've come out twice from Monster Fest. Yeah. Amazing. Um, 
Good fun, good value. Uh, rib spreader. We've got to talk about that for a moment. This is yeah. uh, the guy that runs the uh, the what do you call it? The Trasharama, Trasharama which the is Trasharama like the, shorts program. It's they, a shorts program that began as its own little trashy <coughs> festival. Yeah, um, it's Australia's most notorious short film <laughs> program. And good old Dick Dale, who runs that or programs that, has been making this movie. Is that Dick Dale? Is, is Trasharama? He's been making this movie, Rib spreader, for many years. And he's finally got the goods. He's finally done it, and it is fucking excellent. Is it really? Yes. Yeah, it's great. If you're a kind of... I mean, it is it is very much in that trauma vein. Yep. But it's... You know, a lot of these... A lot of these people who make trauma-esque movies is like code for shit. <laughs> like, they, you yeah. kind of think, okay, so that's you know, what the marketing team have come up with. Right. But Dick has done it right. Excellent. Like, it is awesome. That is good to know. And once again, like, he is kind of a mascot for Monster Fest. He's there every year. You can go up and talk to him. Look, I think the first thing we did when Monster Fest started yeah. was got Dick involved yeah. and, and got him to bring Trasharama to the rest of Australia. I mean he did he used to travel around every now and then. I don't think he I don't think he always did it, but he would travel around with Trasharama. Mate, every film festival needs Dick. Yep. Yep. And you can go get some this year. Love the dick. Yep. And uh, so rib spreader. Like, make that like a point of um, of your calendar. You need to go and watch that one and support Dick because he's, he's, he's a little bit of a legend. And finally, I mean, there's, there's other titles. Go to the, the Monster Fest website and check these out. But Friday the 13th, 3D. Part 3, 3D. Yes, yeah. indeed. It's got that pitchfork. All of, those, all of those things will make sense when you see it in 3D. You're like, <laughs> why is that coming towards the screen? <laughs> Why are they spending so much time on that stuff coming towards like the that, screen? That horrible um, opening scene from Jaws 3D. Like, yeah. It makes no sense. But I can tell you, it improves the film. The film is already awesome. Yeah. But it improves it like 120% sure. when you get to watch it in 3D. I have the 3D version, like the old DVD with the, the blue and red the glass. The blue and red glasses. So I, but I would really get a kick out of seeing this on the big screen. So yeah. I'll probably be one for that And that's one. the problem now. Like, I don't know about your TV, but my TV now <laughs> doesn't have 3D capabilities. Like, they've, you know, Samsung have phased it out. They've been phasing it out since 2016. And I'm yeah. sure all the other uh, brands are similar. So even if you get the 3D Blu-ray now, you can't watch it on anything. Well, that's right. You need that old, the old, I don't know what they call it, but the, the blue, green, red, green kind of um, yeah. glasses to make it work. The old the old school, mate. Anyway, maybe they'll, uh, do you reckon they'll reinvest in, in the 3D when the new Avatar comes along? I doubt You'd it. You'd think that they would have to. Like, there's going to be demand and it's just, like the whole thing when they put it in or take it out. It's like a couple of chips. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I'm sure you know, they've invented the technology. Yeah. So putting it back in yeah. to, even if the TVs are now three quarters of the of the uh, depth or width or whatever <laughs> yeah. the, the thing is, they're all slimline. I don't see why. Like, yeah, it's not, yeah. <laughs> they just do it. Just just shut up and do it, I mean, Samsung. They should, they, I mean, even when they took it away, they kind of should have secretly and had sp it sponsor us. They should they should have secretly still had that capability. The capability. So know. then they would, and then just you know go, oh no, it's there. Yeah. But uh, you're gonna have to pay a hundred bucks for the glasses if yeah. you want to use it. Yeah, that's right. No worries. Happy to. That's cheaper yeah. than another. Telly. They're buying a new TV. <laughs> anyway. I, I guess maybe that's why they don't do it. Another. Because that's you know because it is what they do with um, digital cameras and stuff like that. They actually start with the with the super kick-ass model yeah. and then they take, they literally just disable functions yeah, yeah. and get it down into the, to the cheaper well, version. It's like when, was it like 
HDMI inputs started existing before the cables really were about. Yeah. You know, just you know, future proofing yourself. <laughs> yeah. Or it's, you know, like when I got my last MacBook, it was all that Type C plug. Yeah, yeah. No hard drives were around that. I think you get to have converters for everything. Yep. Now the hard drives come with uh, Type C cables. Yep. Anyway, we're good on the tangents today, mate. Good on the tangents. That's only, I can only talk. In tangents. Okay, well, how about another tangent? Because we're doing Daddy's Little Girl, and you can start with Daddy's Little Girl, your first recommendation. And it's then... not Daddy's Little Girl. No, but you girl. can start with your Daddy's Little Girl recommendation, and feel free to divert onto tangents, because, you know, it's the flavor of the episode, mate. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to talk about... This This film came uh, across my radar years and years ago, when Robin Bougie, the... Uh, illustrator and, and main writer of Cinema Sewer mm. magazine uh, sent me a list of uh, films that uh, he had in his he had he had like this lending library yep. where you could you could actually write into him if you bought the magazine and he'll send you and he'll send yeah. you this it was a very, it was like a Netflix before the original Netflix. the original Netflix yeah um, do, you, do you know that Netflix still do that they still have that posted service, and the only reason they do, and I think there's only like you know fifty or sixty people subscribe to it, it's just that legacy thing they don't want to let go of. It's like yeah. no, that that was our origin, so we keep it just because. Yeah, yeah they... it's like they keep a giant blockbuster sign uh, <laughs> in the trash can in the office, and just yeah. <laughs> every day, every every like it, it's a it's a rule that when you come to work, everyone spits at it. Yeah, even during COVID. Yeah, and there's a few pisses and yeah. yeah. It's great. And Larry, but, uh, Larry always shits on it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I, you know, I've been looking for an excuse to watch this. Mm-hmm. I've had it. I've had his disc for years. Uh, but this is Night of the Juggler from right. 1980. This movie is a dirty, <laughs> gritty, grimy kind of action thriller. Um, it's directed by uh, Robert Butler. And it says, and one other on IMDb. Oh, that's right. Sidney J. Fury is an uncredited director. I, f- I fucking love Sidney J. Fury. He did some of the best uh, Bronson movies. He also did uh, things like The Ipquist File, sure. Superman 4. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Iron Eagle. Uh, you know, but this guy's done some some fucking great movies. And so it makes a lot of sense that he he uh, he uncreditedly directed uh, the, this film. So it is set in 1980. It stars James Brolin, who's like, he's an ex-city cop who literally lost his job as a cop uh, because of the economic downturn in New York. And if you know anything about this period of time in New York, it's when, it's pre-Giuliani. Giuliani uh, got a lot of praise. He cleaned it up. For cleaning it up because, yeah, prior to that, the city was essentially bankrupt. Do you know how he did it? Do you know how he cleaned it up? I have no idea. He put Disney stores in Times Square. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, because Times Square was a... Sleaze pit. A sleaze pit, yeah. It was a, uh, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. If you've seen Taxi Driver, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that's exactly the New York that this film is set in. Excellent. And yet, there's still, like, James Brolin refuses to leave. Yeah. Because he loves it. He <laughs> loves New York. That's <laughs> right. Um, peep shows. Yeah, and and uh, so he's a, he's a co- he's an ex-cop who got, who's been let go due to budget cuts. Mm. Uh, and he now works as a truck driver. And he's, because of this, because he refused to kind of leave the city, he split up with his wife, and he's basically got kind of, not sole custody, it, it's not, they don't really go into too much detail, but he's basically got custody of his daughter. Right. Who's, I think, 13. Mm. And um, 
one day, I think it's her birthday, and it's the the opening kind of day of the film. They have a daddy daughter day where mm. they um, and he takes her through Central Park to uh, school, and he kind of he he sees her off. Yep. And then he turns around, he walks away. And then as he's walking away, he kind of hears a scream and he turns around and there's a guy who's grabbed his daughter and shoving her into the back of his car. And he kind of takes off after him. Yes. And it turns out that this guy has basically kidnapped her thinking that she's the daughter of this rich guy who who's a, a real estate developer. Yeah. And it's just a case of mistaken identity. Yeah. And he refuses to believe... Her when she says, well, "Why are you kidnapping me? Like my dad's yeah. like a truck driver." So that guy thought he was in ransom. A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then it becomes and he basically on foot chases after this guy this and then he gets you're selling it. He he gets like he gets into a cab that's um, Mandy Patankin is the the, oh. the driver of the cab who helps him chase him down and then disappears and then. You know, he chases him through the kind of sleazier part of Times Square and he notices that the guy drops something outside of a peep show and he sees one of the the girls from the peep show pick it up. So then he has to go through all the peep shows and tr- trying to find this girl to find out what he dropped. Stop the show. Like, let's just go watch this now. Like. It, is, it is amazing. And the, the police lieutenant, the police lieutenant who's in charge of the case... Is it's it's Richard uh, Castellano, a Clemenza from The Godfather, and he does gives a great almost non acting performance, just kind of as himself. Like he's a hundred percent, you know, take the gun, yeah, yeah. take the cannoli, leave the gun <laughs> kind of a performance. <laughs> yeah. It is amazing, and I was totally shocked. I mean, the the um, Julie Carmen shows up halfway through. She absolutely stunning, yeah. and it, like has a great part in it. But um, Dan Hedaya, with a full head of hair... My goodness, it must have been a lot of hair too, because that, unless it all migrated to his shoulders afterwards. Well, yeah, like he's got this kind of wild... It is it is a receding afro, yeah. but it is like an afro. <laughs> yeah. And he plays like... He, he's one of the cops, but before he got canned, uh, James Brolin actually spoke out a bit about police corruption. Yeah. And Dan Hedaya was kind of the, one of the main kind of guys who got hit. And that is the whole kind of thing running through the film is that the ironic thing is, is that even though Dan Hedaya was a dirty cop, he got to keep his job. Yeah. But James Brolin, because he broke ranks, got shit canned. They were just looking for an excuse to get rid of him. But he basically refuses to help look for the daughter. He just wants his revenge. I've not been this excited about one of your recommendations in ages. Oh. Well, I, uh, I don't know how to take that, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I mean, there is some, there is some incredibly brutal stuff. Like the he, at one point, he does have a fight with Dan Hedaya, and it's one of many mm. in the film because they do basically beat the shit out of each other throughout New York City. <laughs> yeah. But I think James Brolin punches him in the nuts like five times, like really pounds into those balls, and it is, it is. Both horrifying and incredibly satisfying Excellent. and entertaining when he does Excellent. it. It is definitely worth checking out if you can find it. As far as I know, like it got a VHS release here in Australia. It's probably on YouTube. I just watched my VHS tape of it. I don't know if it's, it may have got a DVD release in the Surely States, it's on YouTube but I don't it. believe it's had a Blu ray release anywhere. I'm going to find it. I'm going to watch it. It is fucking Otherwise awesome. you're going to lend me. Yeah, I'll have to lend you that. I'll have to lend you my disc. <laughs> yeah. Um, amazing. And I, I remember, like, I, I think the poster reminded me of Escape, no, Escape from Alcatraz? Yeah, it's, yeah, very much in that kind of vein, which is... Yeah. Where they had characters breaking out of the poster, kind of? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the, the thing, because, like, 
where this guy lives, he lives in a part of Harlem, mm. or I, I believe it's Harlem, that's been basically torn down. Sure. Like it, it's, and that's a theme that runs through the whole film, that these kind of rich, fat cat industrialists mm. are basically destroying New York yep. to bring the prices down yep. so then they can buy the real estate cheap and build, build, it, up. build it up. Yeah, right. Well, Which is, you know. We went in a similar direction. I've got to say, though, my first choice originally was a great little flick from a few years ago called Freaks, which had um, Emil Hirsch and Bruce Dern in it. And it was kind of like Bad Boy Bubby meets X-Men. It was really weird about a dad that holds his girl captive in a house because he tells her there's a bad word outside. You don't know whether he's oh, yeah, paranoid or whether this. it's to protect her because she's got powers or yeah. to protect her from the world for, or protect the world from her. Yeah. You know, but merely hours ago, you asked why I wasn't doing hardcore, right? Yeah. And I thought to myself, why the fuck am I not doing <laughs> hardcore? So I've gone back to my original choice and I'm doing hardcore. So this is a 1979 movie with George C. Scott. Also has um, Peter Boyle and Susan Hubbley. And ex-Mrs. Kurt Russell. <laughs> Mrs. Kurt I Russell. think Kurt Russell's only wife. Yeah, that's right. Because he never and, married Goldie. And she's also the, one of the stars of uh, Escape from New York. Yes. And this movie And is... the daughter of Whip Hubbley. Yes, so this movie is basically the original 8mm. Like, it is a very, very similar story. Uh, George C. Scott plays a very conservative kind of businessman from the Bible Belt of America, and his daughter goes missing or runs away. It's, you know, a little bit ambiguous at first. And with the help of a private investigator who's played by Peter Boyle, he tracks her down to California where she's working in the sex trade. And his search leads him to the very, very seedy... Um, underworld of hardcore pornography and even snuff films. It goes, that's where the 8mm kind of stuff comes into it. I, I like that That there is that period of time where those things were closely linked. Yeah. Whereas to, to a degree now, it's like so much of porn yeah. is <laughs> is above board because it just makes so much money that you don't need to do... Mind you, if you've, uh, <laughs> if you've seen that new Sniper 9, that goes into the illegal yeah. webcam world, which... Probably is a thing. Factories yeah. of webcam girls. Anyway. Oh, no, it totally is a thing. Like, yeah. That's a, the whole concept. I always think it's hilarious, but the whole concept of those TikTok creator houses, yeah. five years prior to that, they were webcam houses. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what they were, where they just had a <laughs> bunch of girls all living together. I don't think it, I, it was, you know, chances are it was being run by, you know, fat old guys. Yeah. 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 Who, um, you know, who paid the rent. Yeah, now it's probably run by Russians or something. Anyway, <laughs> well, let's not let's not bring them into it. So, uh, anyway, this was uh, directed by uh, Paul Schrader, who had pretty much just come off the success of Taxi Driver, and this movie is definitely a chip off that block. You know, it's very very similar. It presents a grimy, seedy kind of atmosphere like Taxi Driver, and I kind of really love some of these movie choices that. George C. Scott was making at the end of his career. Like, he did this one. Exorcist 3 is another example. Like, they were sort of out of the box for him, you know. No, like, things like The Last Run. Like, he had The Changeling. He had, like, a fantastic career. You know, basically, when he ditched... But that's what I'm saying. The tail end of his career, he kind of... He he changed uh, trajectory. Yeah. He just started doing really interesting films. But I can't remember his wife, Campbell Scott's mother, who's... I can't remember. She was an actress, a pretty successful actress as well. And he ditched her for Trish Vanderveer, a much younger woman who was his co-star yeah. in the last run. Yeah, and she's kind of she pops up in all of his subsequent films. Yeah, definitely. Well, the thing I love about this one in particular, George C. Scott um, signed onto this movie based on the script. Right, he loved the script. 
but he wasn't aware that he was contractually obligated to shoot in actual porn houses and sex shops and he wanted out of the movie when that became a reality for him but he was <laughs> he was locked in so he had to go against his fiber to be in these locations for the entire shoot and it is all in sex shops they're real sex shops half of the clientele are real like you know yeah. the porn houses very much the uh, milieu of uh, Schrader of the, <laughs> of the Schrader brothers because <laughs> that's because his brother Leonard is the one who did uh, um, what's his name uh, the doco um, that we we had we interviewed Leon O'Regan about it when he released it it's a palace explosive title. Yes. Oh, fuck. Um, oh, the killing of America. Killing of America. Yes. Duh. Of course. Um, the funny thing too about this movie, and this is sort of a, I guess, a sign of the times, right? Because that when this was made, it was very much. It, it, now it's a conservative movie, right? But back then it was a liberal movie. Like you can watch this from the the prism of either either kind of side of politics and and get out of it different things. Like, it really yeah. is a fence-sitter movie where if, if you're pers- you've got a persuasion one way or the other, you'll see this movie very differently from other people. Right. And that struck me. I thought that was really fascinating. And I don't even know if that was intentional at the time because I think, you know, the world back then was different. And, you know, anyway, I found that interesting retrospectively. So, yeah, and, and the other thing to add to this, which I found not only fantastic but hilarious, is that Ed Begley Jr. plays a porno star in this movie. And... uh I mean, if you know who he is, and you will if you look him up, then you'll find that quite amusing. That's why when you told me you were watching this, I, w- I said that the perfect companion piece would be 52 Pickup. Yeah, yeah. Because that has all of those, you know, all of those people are in are in that film. And even even in Night of the Juggler, Sharon Mitchell is the, the girl who works at the peep show that picks up the thing. Yep. And she was a, she was a, a, you know, a relatively famous porn star in the yep. 70s and 80s, and is now like... She's, she she runs AIM, the yeah. kind of the AIDS yep. testing facility that um, that all the porn stars use before they do any shoots and stuff like yeah. that. That's all her. Like she is like a big, she's like the, you know, the female William Margold or he's the male Sharon Mitchell. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but she, you know, she started as a, as a porn star and kind yeah. of, well, you know, I was amused because like, took over, I think maybe that Maggie Gyllenhaal character in, um, in, uh, Deuce, the Deuce oh, yep, is yep, kind yep, of based yep. on her, gotcha. I think. I don't know. Well, I was amused because Ed Begley Jr. was a Disney actor back in the day. And yeah. not many years before this one, he had done that, was it Super Dad with Kurt Russell? Yeah. Like- <laughs> but Ed Begley Jr. was also, uh, you know, used to get high with John Belushi and yeah. stuff. Like he is a, <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't know it when you, when you don't know him as the character he's become. Yeah. I mean, he was a Hollywood brat. Yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. Anyway, there you go. That's I, I ended up going with hardcore thanks to you. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sorry about freaks, but you know, you know, check it out too. <laughs> check it out, freak, check out freaks. I want to watch freaks. Like I remember when it came out, and I, I meant to, to check it out, it's and quite I just good. didn't get around it's quite to good. it. Obviously, I was like everything. It. Yeah. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? It's Guillermo here from Screen Realm. That's ScreenRealm.com and Screen Realm on YouTube. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel. We've got a lot going up lately, including reviews and interviews. As always, I'm here to tell you about some of the movie news stories from the past week. Kicking off with a new Naked Gun movie, potentially with Liam Neeson starring. 
According to Deadline, Paramount Pictures is looking to go ahead with a Naked Gun reboot, with Liam Neeson currently in negotiations to star and Akiva Schaefer set to direct. Akiva Schaefer is a member of the comedy music group Lonely Island, and his featured directorial credits include Hot Rod, The Watch, Lonely Island music videos, and the 2016 comedy pop star Never Stop Never Stopping. The screenplay is going to be coming from Dan Greger and Doug Mand, who worked with Schaefer on the recent Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie. Now, plot details are known, but it is expected that Neeson, if all negotiations go well, will not be playing the role of Detective Frank Drebin, who was played by Leslie Nielsen in the original comedies, and instead will be playing his son. Sidney Sweeney, whose credits include popular series Euphoria, 2021 thriller The Voyeurs, and award-winning miniseries The White Lotus, will be starring in a new Barbarella movie. The new Barbarella movie has been set up at Sony Pictures, with Sweeney on board as executive producer and star. This is to be based on the French comic book series by Jean-Claude Forrest, which was of course turned into a 1968 movie starring Jane Fonda. A new Barbarella movie has been in development hell for quite a few years now, with Robert Rodriguez at one point set to direct. There's still currently no writer or director attached to this Sweeney starring project, so we'll see what happens here. Filming has started on a new Jason Statham action thriller titled The Beekeeper, and there's new cast members being announced just now. Oscar winner Jeremy Irons, Emmy Raver Lampman from The Umbrella Academy, Bobby Naderi from Under the Shadow, and Josh Hutcherson from The Hunger Games are joining Jason Statham in the film that is being directed by David Ayer, whose credits include Suicide Squad, End of Watch, and Fury. The Beekeeper will be following the story of one man's brutal campaign for vengeance, which takes on national stakes after he's revealed to be a former operative of a powerful and clandestine organization known as the Beekeepers. Paramount's upcoming Transformers film, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, has added Michelle Yeoh and Pete Davidson. They've been added to the voice cast, with Yeoh on board to voice Maximal A. Razor and Davidson to voice Autobot Mirage. Transformers Rise of the Beasts is to be starring Anthony Ramos, known for In the Heights and Hamilton, and Dominic Fishback, known for Judas and the Black Messiah and Project Power. On board as director is Stephen Capel Jr., who previously directed Creed 2 and The Land. As of now, the next Transformers movie is expected to hit cinemas in June 2023. And Marvel's planned Blade movie, set to star Oscar winner Mahershala Ali, is on pause and has had its release date pushed back. Filmmaker Bassam Tariq, who was on board to direct the film, stepped away a few weeks ago, so Marvel has decided to shut down production-related activities in Atlanta as the search for a new filmmaker continues. Blade had been scheduled for US release on November 3rd, 2023, and now it's September 6th, 2024 where it is that production on the film will be starting again in early 2023. That about does it for me everyone, thanks so much for joining me once again. As always, check out Screen Realm on YouTube, we've got reviews, interviews and more. Catch you later.
I, I have been dying for an opportunity to play that song on the show. That's a song called Wolf Totem from the Mongolian metal group, The Who. Far out. What a mind-blowing band this is. If you enjoyed hearing that, go and look them up and, and have a listen to them. You, you saw them live, didn't I you? I was lucky enough to film them do an acoustic set in town. And I'll tell you what, I've never had such a, a guttural experience. Like I felt their performance in my stomach because they do that throat singing and it's really bassy. Yeah, and they have all these really sort of handcrafted, um, you know, double basses with you no know, and weird Mongolian violins and stuff. Just amazing. So yes, they just call them violins. <laughs> <laughs> A mind blowing band, uh, and their song is from the new horror movie, The Retaliators. This is what we're here to talk about. And the whole thing about this movie is that it's produced by that music label that the Who are on, called Better Noise Music, and it's under their film label, Better Noise Films. It's almost like an Ice Cube movie <laughs> where, uh, where <laughs> who was it? Um, uh, Phase on Love, I think, yeah, did, yeah. on uh, Dinner for Five. He did that impression of working with Ice Cube and he's just like, <laughs> he's like, do it. All right, cut. Let's go work on the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, so they've, they've created, I mean, they do have a film division, right? And they do feature a lot of their acts in their films. So in this one, you've got Tommy Lee, you've got The Who, Papa Roach, Five Finger Death Punch, and a whole bunch of others. But it, it wasn't just an excuse to put their acts in it. I believe that's exactly what it the was. The soundtrack, no. <laughs> yes. No, the soundtrack, absolutely. But I think they've just like, we've got these talents, let's put them in there. The let's fans will lap that up. Yeah. But the movie itself, it's actually a really cool little film. And I'll give you a brief rundown before I throw to this interview. It follows a pastor who uh, breaks away from his church because um, and he ventures into the city underworld when his daughter is murdered, right? So he's trying to track down her killers. And it takes him to this really unexpected and unique place that you don't see in horror movies very often. It leads you to think it's going in one direction, then it takes... And him. then it twists, yeah. And but he's a, the, fun, the fun part is his kind of transformation because he's yeah. very much a turn-the-other-cheek yeah. guy. And yeah. the opening scene is great, like yeah. with him buying a Christmas tree with his son. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the tree gets taken by yeah. this bully. Yep. And then, you know, by the end of the film, it kind of it redoes it again. It comes and around. He beats the fuck out of the guy. <laughs> yeah. It is a great transformation. If you've seen the poster, he's <clears throat> covered in blood and that kind of lets you know where That's he's... the Christmas tree scene. Yeah. No. Let, no. It lets you know where he's going, right? But, I mean, you, it's very hard to, if you're good at predicting films, it's hard to predict where this one goes. The final act is quite a, quite a unique kind of take on a genre. So, anyway, um, it is now available digitally. Let's uh, pique your interest with my conversation with Michael Lombardi, talking all about it. I've got the man who murdered your daughter. How'd you like one minute? One minute alone. Daddy, sorry about this. I really appreciate you making time for for this, you know, come full circle. I know you're probably exhausted by now. Hey, no, I'm so happy. Thank you for having me on the show, and uh, I appreciate your time, Glenn. Thank you. No, look, the pleasure is mine. Uh, I've got to start off with the fact that we've got another Christmas horror movie to add to the calendar. As a horror fan, that means a lot to me. So uh, that's the first question. What was the reason to set this at Christmas? Well, what's funny is I'm glad you're, you're, you're seeing that because not everyone does. There were like, we did some festivals and there were some ex, uh, exit interviews being done and people really picked up on that fact. However, not everyone, obviously, you know, it's Christmas, but is this the next diehard, you know, Christmas? <laughs> uh, there are a lot of winks to the eighties films and action heroes and all that stuff, which is why I say it. But, you know, I think, 
I think what's fun about this movie is there's so many sort of hopefully un unexpected twists and turns. And, you know, it's a revenge thriller at the end of the day, which is the oldest story in the book, right? It's so primal. A, a saber-toothed tiger attacks a caveman's clan. They go hunt the saber-toothed tiger, right? They, they, it's like, it's like, it's, the, it's, it's, it's like Shakespeare. It's like love. But I think it's told in a little bit different of a manner in this one with, you know, the, the pastor, a man of the cloth. And, and I think throwing in that Christmas element was something that just heightened sort of the reality and the fall uh, and, 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 and peeled, uh, it added another layer of the onion to the story from where it goes from the first act to the third act. Totally. And I do love right at the beginning, um, without giving anything away whatsoever, but when, when you say they're not zombies, like that is just the perfect kickoff right there. Like, and I just love the fact that, that comes full circle and it really made it that's what made it so rewarding for me, that one little line. Oh, man, thanks so much. It's crazy because you'd be surprised. Making a movie is not easy, you know, and you read a script and then to read the script and then actually try to get that movie across the finish line between filming it and then the edit and all the different voices and different egos and people and COVID and all these things. Like, the I, I come from the school of you got to collaborate with the writers if they're alive if they're there if you have access to them you have to lean into them and me and gear brothers are close so i was able to do that and i'm an actor first and foremost so as an additional director and also a producer on this that's the school that i come from but a lot of these little nuggets and easter eggs in that line were fought for pretty hard from the original script actually there tried to be a few changes from the beginning in the way um and and we had to fight for that one along with a lot of things and that's what's been so cool about this whether you like the movie or not and it's not for everybody as i'm starting to hear people talk about it i hear these little things and it's making me feel happy inside you know because you're like damn i remember how hard we fought for that and this and you know you may not get that off the page i i happen to there's a lot of things i don't get but on this case i was inspired by those because the writers and i collaboratively artistically and we were just we're aligned you know so so it, it just it just aligned for this one you know so so speaking of that you know you mentioned being the producer and a, and a, a co-director on this um how did this project all come together where was its origins and and how did it how did you become involved with it yeah so uh early 2000s mid 2000s i had a little record deal i had a rock band and i was living in la at the time but i'm i'm, I'm an east coast guy but i was out in la and my music manager used to be like, hey, listen, you got to go write with these brothers. These guys are amazing songwriters, talented. It's the Gear Brothers, the the, 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 the writers of the Retaliators. So I would go and I'd travel about an hour and a half, two hours south of L.A. to, to meet with these guys. And as I said, like we were just were so aligned, like our tastes and everything. So. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, I go back to the East Coast, everyone's in their life, some years had passed and I, and get this, this is crazy, I had to do a charity event and uh, I'm on the set of a movie and I called Darren and I said, hey, Darren Gear, I said, hey man, you know, I'm doing this charity event, I want to perform that song, When Heaven and Hell Collide, that you and I wrote, but it's not my band, you know, I haven't played with these guys, I need to drop it a half step, what do you think? And uh, he said, it's going to sound too muddy. I think it was in drop D already. So it was like, so he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, we're talking blah, blah, blah. Well, hey, what have you been up to lately? My brother and I have been writing screenplays, he says. And I said, send them to me now. So he sent me a bulk, bought a lot of screenplays. And I saw the retaliators and I was like, I, I got to make this movie. Now get this. This is crazy. Alan Kovac, 
He's the CEO and founder of Better Noise Music. It's a huge record label, right? They represent over 40 bands back in the day. He had the Bee Gees, uh, 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 Meatloaf. He still has Blondie, Tommy, uh, Tommy Lee, Motley Crue, Five Finger Death Punch. So I know him. He attended the charity event that I was doing that I dropped the song a half step when heaven and hell collide that I wrote with Darren after it we go to the after party the dinner thing and he's saying to me you know hey it would be great to do something with you someday I like you blah 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 so I bring him the retaliators and uh, I knew Alan before that but at that charity event is when we got started to get close it took a few years but so I bring him the retaliators and uh, he's like let's do this and isn't this crazy? And when I yeah. read the, I knew it was the perfect script because I felt the music jump off the page. And it didn't say, hey, music here, there, but it's such a wink at the 80s, you know, all those great movies, 80s and 90s, Lost Boys, Crow, Breakfast Club, Judgment Night with these great uh, soundtracks. So yeah. Alan said, let's do this. And he backed me the whole time. He never questioned it, gave me so much responsibility and, and so much, uh, just put so much faith in me. He never stepped on set, but he's the, he put me in touch with every musician, all these incredible musicians who have cameos in the film, you know, Five Finger Death Punch, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, Spencer Charnas, Ice Nine Kills, Jacoby Shaddix, Papa Roach, uh, uh, Craig Mabbitt, Escape the Fate, uh, Eva Marie from Eva Under Fire, and it goes on and on. The Who... Oh my God, these guys are so good. Um, uh, I um I I shot them live um about two weeks ago. They are phenomenal. Dude, aren't they getting uh, nominated for some of uh, they're in not best live performance too? Oh, they are just yeah, because we we uh, we shot like an acoustic um set with them, and uh, it was just phenomenal. Dude, I got. They came to set the full band when the lead, one of the leads was in the, he's in the scene and he's in the coffin, right? And then Jacoby was filming from Papa Roach. So that weekend we got to shoot a music video where, where Jacoby's featured on their song, Wolf Totem, it's called. So I got to play that song over and over again with the, like the, like, so cool, man. It's so cool. So yeah, we, uh, you know, the, the, the one of the goals, too, that Alan and I set out to do is make this a movie first. Because, look, you have this gold lining of these incredible musicians and this incredible soundtrack. But for me, I wanted a movie. I thought this film, I love the writing, and I thought it sat on the highbrow side of horror, and it was story-driven. But yet, you know, there's these great opportunities. But I, I really wanted to do it in a non-gratuitous manner and in a way in which, if you didn't know it was... If you weren't a fan of Papa Roach, you'd just think Jacoby Shaddix was an actor. Or, yeah. And I feel like, you know, um, we, uh, who knows where it goes, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, this movie's not for everyone. But at the end of the day, we got into some great genre festivals and, we're, and, and listening to people starting to talk about it. It's really nice to hear that they respect it as a film, you know, because I, I never wanted to just leech off the musicians. And, 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 you know, to be quite honest with you, like, if I went to my acting agent and was like, and by the way, who cares? Because you want to make a piece of art anyway yeah. you can't work on all this stuff but i will say if you went and said hey i'm in this movie with eight musicians and this great soundtrack it might not be taken seriously you know and, and again that never stopped me and a lot of things maybe should have stopped me in terms of holy shit I'm in a movie i haven't even done this before you know i've been on a lot of stuff I've been an actor 20 years and I, I was on this television show for a long time i did 100 episodes of it but point is is uh 
you know, I, I, I just didn't look back because I was so passionate about the script and, and then all these other elements. But again, giving the respect to these musicians and not making mm. and make be proud of the film at the end of the day and having it be more of a symbiotic thing where they're in a real movie and a new fan base maybe could be open to them for people who just like the genre but yet they're bringing all this added value and and that was something that i really wanted to set out for we'll see where it goes from here but that those were all my goals you know a lot of them i think i think it's probably fortuitous too because i think you've picked the right time for this movie to drop because you've had that that Foo fighters horror film come out and this is sort of very much similar kind of genre it, it's sort of a it's got a lot of music it's it takes it takes the piss um out of a lot of the the, the genre um, what I wanted to talk to you about, you mentioned the fact that you wanted to put story first. And I totally get that because none of these guest cameos, what, whatever you want to call them, none of them seemed tokenistic. It seemed like they were just naturally in the film. But they say never work with children, never work with animals. What's it like to work with rock stars? Are they hard to wrangle on the set? Like, do they take it as seriously as they should? Let me tell you, man, if you can get them there, you're golden. They are yeah. great. Uh, <laughs> if you can get them there, there were a couple times. No, they were all. <laughs> there were a couple times where I was expecting somebody, and then we had to pivot on the day. Um, yeah. However, they're so good, man. And you know what? They're natural storytellers, right? They're all yep. pros. They came to play. You know, acting's like jumping off that cliff, not being afraid. Now, I talked to them all about their characters before they got to set. They listened. They were open. They, 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 they you know, it's crazy because I'm, I'm now I'm going to see them. I, I knew who they were, but now I'm going to some of their shows and seeing what they do on stage and being like, holy shit, like, that's amazing that I hung out with that dude and talked to him about his role and we've collaborated together, you know, because they're so powerful on stage and they're all been doing this for years. It's a long journey and they're masters of their craft so it was really nice for them to come in and be so open to learning and listen and direct them and talk to them about their part and just sort of they have open arms you know like there's natural storytellers through music through their instruments through through lyrics if it was the lead singer but but I think when you come in and you act, you have to like maybe make it a little smaller than you do on stage and have it inside and bring it behind your you know your eyes and it's always about the pinch never the ouch what I thought was really cool was no one was like faking, you know, you could come out and be big, but then you're, you're not genuine. And what I loved is no one wanted to be false or fake. Like they wanted, they asked the right questions. They did the right emotional preparation, whatever it was. Like if you're going to go play a scene and you're going to be in this mood, you could use that your dog died three years ago or whatever the hell it is to get you there. And then you go and play the scene with your objective and point of view. But whatever they were using, I saw them all in the corner at different times. Every different musician who was on at a different time doing this. And I'm like, all right, man, you know, this is pretty cool. They, they, they instinctually knew what they were doing now i know they do a lot of music videos and different things but i don't think many of them have acted in a feature film or at least to this capacity yeah yeah totally um another thing i wanted to ask you before i, I do let you run and every filmmaker these days gets asked this question but i always get a different answer so i'm very curious to know if the pandemic affected the shooting of this film was it shot during the pandemic after before like i mean how did that factor into everything yeah, 100% affected it very much. So, you know, with the arts, anything, everything was affected, of course, but you know, you have to have a a group of people gather to make a film you have a crew you know people are flying in from everywhere so yeah we got we, we got hit pretty hard uh you know the, the i brought out on the script three years ago or so so it's 
some time to make. We got to shoot. You know, we, there's certain protocols. You know, you have to have different stations, a cleaning station. You have to have COVID tests. And at the beginning, they were super, super, super expensive. We had to have a quick turnaround. So if we're shooting in Nevada, the only lab was in LA. So we had to have a runner going yeah. back and four or five dollars a test at that time so whoever it was was making a lot of money but we needed them so it cost the production a ton of money then get this long story short we're in nevada i brought my crew from where we were shooting to to a lot of locations because we were in our pod right of course when you're flying we're wearing double masks we're terrified and uh the screen actors guild rightfully so was, was super hyper concerned as they needed to be so when we flew in from into nevada we unfortunately i needed to meet with a locations guy right to go yeah. around so we kept our distance etc me and the core guys the dp the assistant director were there we're going through and uh turns out you know cut to three or four days later on our first day of principal photography there in that location I, on the way to set i get the 911 call 6 30 in the morning locations guys positive for COVID. So of course, SAG finds out we get shut down. It's like a Wednesday. Guy never made it to set because we had protocol that you're getting tested at the hotel in our room individually before you get to set. However, yeah. can't shoot, we get shut down. SAG was so inundated with this, they didn't even get back to us till Monday. So now we're shut down Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You can't shoot, it's money. We got the crew there. So those kind of things were constant obstacles throughout the production. Um, and, and as I told you before, man, it's hard to make a movie anyway. And me being, you know, I, 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 I've been on sets a long time. And I'll tell you one other thing. I was on a show about firefighters. Dennis Leary was the lead. It was called Rescue Me, right? Yep. And he also acted, produced, wrote the show so i didn't realize that for eight years being next to this guy 100 episodes is amazing how much i learned from him so i hadn't been a producer director i just had a lot of passion and i felt like i had some experience but it was a lot man i learned so much throughout this process i can't even begin to tell you dealing with obstacles being a being a leader failing learning landing on my feet like alan supporting me through the whole thing i mentioned him earlier alan yeah. Kovac. i was there for me no matter what and, you know uh, we got something at the end, so... <laughs> you certainly did. What a testament to what you've done, considering all of that was in the way. Like, huge, the biggest obstacle you could imagine. So, like, you know, you've delivered a fantastic product that's just fun. And without giving anything away, like, I just want to tell you that the um, the final act of this movie is worth it for the price of admission alone. Like, it is just balls out gnarly. Yeah, man. It's like the birth of metal, someone said. And I was like... <laughs> Yeah. yeah it's crazy man it's fun and wild and uh yeah thanks man you know well it's... yeah congratulations man like i hope there's more movies from um better music films like it's you know it's, it's a really exciting kind of thing and and um i wish you all the best with it and thanks so much for taking the time to chat about it it's been fun thank you so much best to you and thank you for your time and i, I appreciate your thoughtful questions man thank you Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. We're talking movies about daddy's little girl? My question to you guys is what do you do if your little girl is taken? Well, oh no. Oh, like man on fire? No, well if you're Jackie Chan, you and you terrorize the shit out of Pierce Brosnan and I want to talk movie. about the I really want to talk about the foreigner directed by Martin Campbell.
We've talked about that on Bonehead. I've yes. talked about it on Bonehead. I, I really liked it. I really did. called too. The Chinaman, or right? Yeah, it's called The Chinaman based on that book. Yeah. Um, it is a fantastic film, and it really shows that Jackie Chan is not just for stunts. That man yep. can put forth a heart-wrenching performance. And many, many props to Martin Campbell. He's one of those underappreciated directors who I still have a sense of loathing for because of what he did with Green Lantern, but I feel like it's not well, his he's fault. made a couple of really bad movies. Yes, he has. And when he makes them bad, he makes oh them boy, bad. he makes them bad. But no, uh, so if you're not familiar with The Foreigner, this isn't giving too much away because it happens in the first few minutes, but uh, Jackie Chan's daughter is violently murdered and he wants revenge on the people who did it and he goes after them. It has a, a, an amazing ending that a movie with that premise can have. I, again, I cannot I cannot recommend enough The Foreigner. It's it's a great film with Jackie Chan, Pierce Brosnan. Um, they are both do amazing performances in that movie, so I cannot recommend it enough. <laughs> Who goes next? I'm going to go next. I want to talk about 2017's The Florida Project, uh, directed oh, by Sean Baker. I still haven't seen that. It's a magnificent film. At the first time I watched it, the first 20 minutes, I was like, why did Willem Dafoe get nominated for an Oscar for this? And by an hour and 30 into it, I was ready to cry. I was ready to run and help all the, these these two little girls. And Willem Dafoe is the guy who has a heart of gold trying to do his best in a terrible situation where these people live in a motel. Basically, mm -hmm. if you're familiar with outside of Orlando and Kissimmee, right around 192, this hotel is really there. Part <laughs> Brooklyn Prince, Bria Venata, Brian Venate, uh, the little girl, and, and basically she's a single mom and she's not a great person. She's terrible at it. And this little girl and these little children hanging out at this hotel that they live in. And it's, it's kind of this existence where people can't afford to get an apartment or a house and they live in these hotels and they make bad decisions and her mom constantly makes bad decisions. And this little girl has very little hope. The ending is slightly hopeful. It's 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 whimsical. It's a maybe slightly too whimsical for me, but it's soul crushing and it bothers me a lot. And it bothers me even more now. I'm thinking about it right now. Damn you, Glenn. Yeah, Glenn, um, you you. I hope you're happy. We picked a couple of depressing picks. And by the way, if that means Joe and I picked something depressing, James is going to make you want to slit your wrist. Well, it's depressing, but it's also you, you have hope because Willem Dafoe is such a good person in this movie yeah. I, I just uh i'm getting slightly emotional it's it's a hard to take because you know i feel like there's there's people children who never get a shot and this little girl doesn't get really get a shot and it is depressing as hell to me sorry well, as chad warned everybody i'm gonna go <laughs> really far off here uh see i'm gonna pick a movie about this uh father and his daughter's getting married. It's called Father of the Bride. Oh, seriously? Yeah, you ever see that one? Oh, That's a good yeah, movie. it's depressing as hell. All Jeez. the money well, has to spend. Which well, version? I, I'm ready. actually going oh. with this. I'm going with the Steve Martin version because the reason I like that version is for one entire reason. It's a quote that Dana and I, my wife and I, use back and forth. Our the, the insanity in our family depletes over generations. I'm not doing the exact line, but I'm crazy. She's half crazy. Eventually, your children may have a chance. I yeah, like but the problem that is line. Steve Martin's actually a well-to-do person in that movie. Yeah. The one problem about having daughters, you all know those weddings. No, yeah, I don't know. No, no, no. That to me is a horror picture. The I'm not, of my, and I that's the plot is him 
Yeah. By, by the way, Joe, can that. I now say that you've done yours, which one I thought you would do, because I thought it was one of your favorite movies, but no, it's fine. You obviously hate it. What what movie has a better kind of father-daughter scene than To Kill a Mockingbird? I, I love that scene. It's more in my it's probably it's right up there with the cuckoo clock scene with Orson Welles about you stand up, that's your dad. You know, hack, it, it hack, makes me want to cry. Dude. I can't say it. I swear to God, now that I've said Florida Project, I don't know, I'm sober, but saying that line from To Kill a Mockingbird makes me want to cry. It's it's pure it's pure cinema. Yeah, Put see, that S209 what... gun in your mouth and pull the trigger. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's why I went with And this the... is the reason why we were all on vacation <laughs> within 30 minutes of one another and didn't see each other. Thank you very much, Boneheads. James, uh, I'm a bit under the weather there. Got himself some COVID. He had a well, before you said that, I was going to say he had a very deep, sexy voice in this set. Uh... I mean, if if you're going to get COVID, there is no better place to be than Kentucky because doesn't like bourbon cure everything? Like it kills everything. It's like a... I believe that's gin, <laughs> oh, all right. and he's in Mississippi now. Oh no, not in Kentucky. Well, so get yourself back there, boy. Yeah. And you you prepared that bit. Like it's written down in your script, and you still got it all wrong. That's not. No, it is not. Don't go making it sound like I do. <laughs> Joe was a bit of a sookie la la, though. <laughs> Real men do cry. Real men do cry. Or is it strong men? What's the big But it doesn't Lebowski make it bit? any less funny. No. <laughs> as long as I don't have to be in the room with them when they do it. <laughs> yeah, because you know, awkward moments and all. Yeah, I don't deal with emotions no. of any kind. And as we well. know on the show, and as you've proven on the desk, you only cry when you come. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, boneheads. <laughs> Anyway, so moving on. <laughs> you don't wanna don't wanna confirm or deny? <laughs> I've gotta work up to it. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh check out the Boneheads, Bonehead Weekly Podcast, get it where you get podcasts. Uh, I always tell you to check out the YouTube version. I, I get a kick out of watching them. I like to watch them. Yeah, and cry. <laughs> and cry. Well, at the end. Sometimes I don't make it through the full two hours. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes you know they're just so damn entertaining that only last twenty minutes. I guess it, and that all depends on how much talking Joe does, doesn't? Isn't that right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, the best part is when James the more, and Chad. The more, the more Joe talks, the less you listen. The, the best done, part, the best finished. parts are when James and Chad just interrupt Joe, <laughs> and he starts to get frustrated because he just wants to get his bit out. And then when they talk, he interrupts them yeah. and doesn't understand why they're getting upset. <laughs> We love the Boneheads, and we're sincere about that. Check them out. We love having them on the show. Appreciate what they do. So let's get back into daddy-daughter movies. That's what we're here for. Uh, I was surprised at how many of these are out there because we're kind of going from one genre to another. Uh, there's so many, and it was very hard to narrow it down. Some that made my short list, uh, and thankfully it was covered by the Boneheads, Father of the Bride. I was thinking about doing that. And in turn, uh, Three Men and a Baby. That's a good one. I Am Sam. There's that. That's great. Except that's more the other way around. It's almost <laughs> daughter's little daddy. <laughs> There's a movie title. The yeah. sequel. <laughs> Baby's little daddy. Uh, Jersey Girls, another. Taken, Maggie, uh, Cargo. Like There's some horror ones in there. Curly Sue, although is he her father? I can't quite remember. It's been some time. It's a relationship. I think, yeah, he, ba- he basically he, assumes he isn't. the role. Yeah, he assumes the role, yeah. Uh, my Girl. If you want to go dark, you go prisoners. If you want to go light, you go imagine that. Betty Murphy. 
which is the is, one. Uh, Gifted? Is it the one with, uh, yeah, with Captain America? Yeah, what's his name? Chris, Chris um, Evans? Evans? Yeah, that was a good one. That I was really great. And uh, and the girl, because the girl is um, uh, in the Ghostbusters movie. And she's, she's amazing the main, she's in the main, Ghostbusters. Yeah, she's, yeah. A, she's, a she's amazing in Gifted too. She she's is, really good. She is, but she transformed in Ghostbusters yeah. you know, and really proved herself to be a character actress. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, yeah, she's a bit of a revelation. Anyway, but uh, the best one, yeah, the best daddy-daughter movie yes. is Get Carter, which a lot of people <laughs> yeah. don't understand as a daddy-daughter film, but it is... Totally. The instigating event is a daddy-daughter moment. Yeah. And then the 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 rampage that Michael well, Caine goes on at the end is once again based well, on a daddy-daughter moment. No different to retaliators it's like all yeah. based on that moment that set that triggers a series of events yeah. you know and it's a rampaging revenge kind of thing i've gone in a completely different direction so i wanted to get a bit sappy with this one go in a lighter direction Fuck you. and <laughs> i watched it for the first time i had it in mind to watch recently it's not it's 2021s and i haven't done a brand new film for a while it's fatherhood kevin hart which uh i tell you what it is overall fairly uh formulaic can I just say that I'm disappointed that this isn't the one with, uh, was it Ted Danson? Is that, no, with Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze, yeah, I know. I almost did that, to be honest with you. And then I watched the trailer just to think, should I do it? And it's a terrible trailer. It's right? a boy, isn't it? Uh, I can't remember. But I, I just remember looking at the trailer going, this does not, the kid's a boy. this does not do it for me. Anyway, Fatherhood, uh, like I said, very formulaic. However, it is well worth it for Kevin Hart's performance alone. And that made me think, what the fuck is going on, right? Because I hated Kevin Hart. For the longest time. Oh my god! Are you kidding? And now, Wedding Ringer is a, is a, an one? amazing film. The Wedding Ringer. <laughs> but now I I've come to the conclusion I just misjudged him all those years. Like I actually think he. I agree. You were wrong. Yes. You know, it's Jared and I had a revelation moment. We both had the same opinion of Kevin Hart. We did not like him. Then we went and saw that. Is it high school or that night yeah, school? Night school. And we came out of cinema going... Once again, not the one with, with uh, Rachel Ward, which is what I thought I was going to get to see. <laughs> but we came out of that going, like, which one of us admits that we really enjoy Kevin Hart? <laughs> you know? And since then... Ben was right all along? Yeah, totally have to were. Go, have to go back and reappraise The Wedding Ring? Since then, I, I've enjoyed pretty much most of what he does. I can get something out of it. Anyway, this yeah. one, it's about a guy that raises his daughter from birth after his wife dies of an aneurysm shortly after the birth. Uh, and the first act is what I was in it for. Like, it is heavy emotional stuff. And this guy, like, he pulls out an emotional sledgehammer and just whacks you over the head with it. Like, and it is really, really hard to watch and heavy stuff. And, but then after that, it just sort of descends into a typical three men and a baby type of romp where he's, you know, it's five years One later. Minute. She's now, you know, yep. obviously five. And <laughs> and it's the, you know, the, the father. It was my understanding, Glenn, that there would be no math the on this The father show. is no longer the cool guy and he's got to kind of adapt. He's got a new no, that's, new woman in his life. and Yeah. I was going to say, but it's a, at five, that doesn't happen. Well, it kind of does in this one because she realizes that he's protecting her from a lot of things that right. she wants to experience. Experience, yeah. Uh, but, anyway. I mean, usually, usually it's not until they turn into teenagers that they start that you start hating your parents. Yeah, I know. But it, I no, mean, she doesn't hate the, him. She just she wants more. Yeah, I mean, the reality is the the minute you send your kids off to school is the minute you lose them. Yeah, because school is a terrible, terrible place that no child, no human should ever have to deal. with. And there is a there's a school element in this because she goes to a private uh, Catholic school with <clears throat> nuns, and the dress code yeah. is dresses, but she wears pants, and that becomes a, a recurring motif. And and he's you know trying to you know, he doesn't like the nuns, so there's that. Combative yeah. sort of, you know, parental thing going on. Anyway, 
You can take her out of the school. Movie, well, that but that's finished. also a factor in it too. Like, I'm not going to yeah. give away too much. I just think it's a it's a it's a pretty good movie, and, it, and sometimes formula is good. You know, you just, yeah, nothing wrong with a formula. You just want a good formula, and I could have recommended right. a very similar movie from France called To His Family. I don't know if you've seen oh, that one. A, so this is your fourth recommendation yeah, right. for the film. Um, for it's, the, for uh, the, it's up to you if you want to letterbox this or not. But anyway, that's good. And I'm just going to letterbox my film. I think How that's that? great. And I was so blown away by Kevin Hart that I decided on this one. People that are in the movie that I should include um, in this is DeWanda Wise, who I interviewed recently on the show from Jurassic World. She plays the love interest and she's fantastic. Alfre Woodard, um, who is very, very irritating and annoying in this, intentionally so. She's the mother of the the mother-in-law who right. wants the best for the daughter, but it goes against how Kevin Hart's raising her. Then you've got Frankie Faison as, as her husband. Paul Reiser is in this. Lovely. I love him. He's making a bit of a comeback in Hollywood right now. Have you seen Have you seen that show that he's on now? No. What one's that? Uh, I can't remember. He was in Stranger Things, and he's fantastic in that. He's he's back for yeah. the new Beverly Hills Cop. He's in Whiplash too, but he was in. Um, no, this show is about a. Uh, it's about a, it's a sitcom about a sitcom or. Oh right, yeah. With um. Uh, uh, Michael Key. Keegan? Yes, yes, Michael yes. Key? Oh, I know the one. Um, I can't remember the name, but I do know the one you mean. Yeah, and it's it's the guy who did, who did Modern Family. Yeah, it's his yes, show, yes. and it's this girl, this um, yep. this woman um, wants to um, bring back a, a 80s sitcom, and all of the the people in the sitcom have, whose careers have all it's gone reboot to the or something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or and, remake or yeah, and you know she gets lumbered with the original executive producer of the show. Sure. And that's Paul Reiser, I didn't know who also either. turns out to be her father. Well, I'm okay. I'm enjoying this. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm enjoying his resurgence as well. So I'll probably check that out. Based oh, on and he's that in day. that. Um, <laughs> uh, is it not Wayward Pines? What's that? That uh, oh, it's TV Stranger show? It's on Prime. No, 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 no. Because that's it's the creator uh, of, of Stranger Things. Was Wayward Pines? <laughs> well, yeah, it's not Wayward Pines, but it's something. It's something like that. But gotcha. it's all set in a country club. It's very Caddyshack. Oh, like, right. And he's like the rich, Far the tie kind of tie web kind of character. He really is back on the scene. And it is fucking excellent. That show is fucking excellent. I will check that out. Uh, the other guy in it that's worth a mention is um, Anthony Carrigan, uh, who he has no eyebrows, and I find that very disconcerting. <laughs> uh, but he was amazing in. Uh, hey, man, you want Will Smith to come up and slap he... you for making fun of uh, <laughs> Anthony Carrigan's uh, helopecia? He was uh, amazing in Bill and Ted 3. He played Robot, and uh, that's where I sort of first cottoned onto who he was. So it was good to see him in this, even though I, I didn't contribute to watch him, but you know. <laughs> The cast is good. The little girl is great. And there you go. Fatherhood. Um, it's it's not a masterpiece by any means, but it's worth it just for Kevin Hart. Can I just say I'm very disappointed that you didn't take my suggestion and talk about uh, Game Plan with The Rock? Well, I think <laughs> or the Tooth, Tooth Fairy. Fairy. <laughs> Tooth Fairy 2, I might have. Or even like The Pacifier with Vin Diesel. I guess they're not his kids, but he. I think he's going to make he's going to make babies with mm. uh, Lauren Graham after the uh, well, after that movie kidding. finished. <laughs> no. I could have I could have done many things, mate. Yeah. Instead, what I did is I chose a movie I wanted to do. Yeah, I'm I'm not for that. Good Movie Monday is made possible with the support of people like Viewlorium. Viewlorium is a streaming platform for rare and obscure movies, and it's absolutely free. They also have a catalogue full of kids' flicks, classic movies, foreign cinema, and more. Visit Viewlorium.com today to see what it's all about. So here's something interesting, Ben. We just played the Vulorium promo. Vulorium have gone and rebranded themselves as Recall TV. 
Rico, Rico. Wasn't that nice of them to let us know? Yeah. <laughs> so, but you can still visit viewlorium.com and be redirected to that new website. It's the same website, just rebranded. Uh, but yeah, Recall TV. They're, they're now... They're, uh, I can't afford another ad. <laughs> just keep calling it Viewlorium. <laughs> I mean, Recall TV. Where else do you watch Tales of the Voodoo Prostitute? That's one of their films. That's, uh, is that is that available here or is that only in New Zealand? No, that's here. That's what about here. Uh, Concrete Cowboys with Tom Selleck and uh, Jerry Reed? That's, uh, yeah, that, that, that's the missing Tom Selleck movie. Yeah, they've got it. Uh, they also and have... it, but the problem, the quality of it is so poor, at least because it's also on Amazon Prime, yeah. and I've only I've only watched the Prime version. Yeah, the quality is so poor that you cannot make out that it's Tom Selleck. <laughs> well, the mustache doesn't do all the talking. Doesn't no. It's uh, not like Coma. He's fucking great in well, Coma. Get this, mate. They also have a movie called Texas Taliban, and that's got Bo Hopkins, Dennis Berkeley, Randall Cobb, Mickey Jones, Sidney Lassick. Like they've taken all the bikey Please, bums uh, and mental patients from Hollywood and lumped Randall them. Randall Tex Cobb. Oh, whatever. They've lumped them all into one movie. That sounds great. Yeah. It sounds like the untouchable, what the Untouchable should have been. What a title, too. <laughs> Texas Taliban. <laughs> and that was made before Taliban was like a, like, you know, Had a, a big yeah. global threat, you know. It, was, yeah. it, was, it existed, but it wasn't what it was now. <laughs> yeah, it's like they made, they could have called it Texas Jihad. Yeah. And nobody would have known. <laughs> Texas ISIS. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, would you care to cap things off with a final recommendation? Sure. Do it. Um... Now, fans of the show, fans of me, people who have run into me on the street, people who I've sat, stood next to at a urinal will know how much of a, a fan I am of uh, the, the drive-in slasher Blood Rage. So do you have a slash while talking about this at the urinal? I, I slash something. Or do you slash I blood end up rage? in tears, if mm. you know what I mean. Is that because of the Blood Rage? That's, uh, mm. Yeah. Let's not go into that. Uh, <laughs> that's too... That's too uh, revealing uh but the guy who made who made that film uh john grisma also directed this super sleazy southern gothic masterpiece known as scalpel also known as false face if you're looking it up on imdb for some reason you're being very sleazy on this daddy daughter episode it uh it is it's such a weird film arrow have put it out on blu-ray and that's what i i watched it on uh, and it is a they've, they've actually got two cuts because there's a weird the DOP um, went for this kind of weird color grading like a, a more Southern Gothic style and Arrow kind of when they restored it they put, they put both on the disc so you they can cleaned see it up both, or? but they cleaned it up to make it look more kind of bright and normal no uh, but it actually I look I that's the version I prefer really um, it looks uh, I mean yeah, I wouldn't know it's, yeah <laughs> it's uh, a lot uh, nicer to watch but. Um, this movie, it's to- it's totally bizarre, but fantastic, just like Blood Rage. So basically, the movie starts on, on uh, at a funeral mm. where this um, old cantankerous kind of uh, patriarch of this family has has died, and in his will, he has he's left his son, who is a disappointment because he's kind of a drunk and a failed politician. Mm. He's left him his dog. Because his dog exhibits all the virtues that his son never possessed of, like <laughs> loyalty and and uh, affection, and his uh, son-in-law, who he blames for his daughter's death, mm-hmm. nothing. Right. But the granddaughter has he's left her the remainder of her 
of his fortune, which is like five million dollars, right. and this you know kind of gothic mansion mm-hmm. uh, in the kind of I don't know where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the only problem is a year prior to this, the daughter, the 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 father, who is a plastic surgeon by trade, and sure. he's like quite a charismatic kind of cool guy, played by Robert Lansing. Mm-hmm. Uh, had had a falling out over one of the daughter's boyfriends and his subsequent uh, death. Um, and she's she took off and disappeared. So there's no one around to claim this $5 million. Right. And despite the fact that, um, that uh, Robert Lansing is loaded and a very successful plastic surgeon, he still wants that five mil. <laughs> so at one, and one day when he's out with, um, with a buddy of his, they, stumble upon this uh, girl who's been badly beaten. You see, she's come out of a, like a, some kind of a, a strip club and she's been the, she's had the shit beaten out of her by the bouncer who's literally like smashed her face Ugh. into a brick wall. Awful. Um, and so they, they pick her up and they take her to the hospital and he kind of, you know, her, and her face is totally, totally destroyed. And when he's kind of talking to her, she doesn't want to tell him her, her name she doesn't want to show him a picture of who she looked like. She kind of, you know, doesn't want to call anyone. She's yep. she's like bereft. Yeah. And he kind of, you know, hatches onto the idea that if he makes her look like his daughter, right, then they can claim the five million dollars from the lawyer. Oh my god. And and so basically, and he he kind of he gets her in on the scheme, yep. and then as the movie kind of progresses, you find out that he indeed was. Uh, responsible for the death of um, her daughter's boyfriend. Yeah, like he kind of drowns him in the in the pool oh in his backyard after like he comes out from, from making love to his daughter. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and he is also like the grandfather is right. He is responsible for the death of uh, his wife. Yeah, and there's a great scene where his wife's out swimming in in the pool and in the sorry in the in the lake. Yep, and she runs into trouble and she's like. Uh, help, help, help. And he's just in one of those little kind of those things that you sit in with the paddles. The paddle boats, yeah. The paddle, like the, <laughs> you know, the ones that you get on Emerald Lake and yeah, stuff. Yeah. He's sitting in one of those just kind of watching, just like doing circles around him <laughs> while she drowns. He's a total, yeah. like he's a total monster. Wow. So he kind of hit the hatch of this plant and everything goes well. They, you know, they agree to split the money 50-50. Um, but then it, then it gets weird because, you know, she kind of develops feelings for him and he returns those feelings. Next thing you know, they're a banging. <laughs> and she, but you know, it looks like he's banging his daughter. Yeah, wow. And it's twisted. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's totally like he's got this kind of weird uh, you know, obsession with her. But then it gets even worse because then daughter shows up again after a year. And now he's got two of them. And there's, there's even one scene where the two girls are talking. And the and the daughter's like uh, that, you know. He he can't tell us apart. Like, what if I just wore wore your clothes and pretended to be you? He'd never know. <laughs> and the other the other girl's like, well, yeah, that would last all the way up until uh, bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, look, it oh, is cool. It is super sleazy, and like Robert Lansing is he's incredibly charismatic, but so so twisted. It is it is excellent, like incredibly entertaining. Like I highly recommend, like everyone to watch You've this. You've given film. me a double feature to watch. Like it is fucking amazing. That's like what it's you've done. and it just like right from the start, it, yeah. you kind of there's no point in the movie where you're like, 
just get on with the, mm. you know, get on with the setup already. Like, I get it. Like, it is just pure entertainment awesome. all the way through. I'm going to watch that too. Thank you, mate. What's left to say? Um, not a lot. Let's sign off uh, with the reminder to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. There you go. Social media, we're on there. We carry on throughout the week with special bonus content videos and all that kind of stuff. This week, as Ben said at the start of the show, we're going to do a review or a reaction to Halloween Ends, the final chapter in the Halloween H40 trilogy. So that'll be fun. A massive thank you to Michael Lombardi for having that chat with me about Retaliators. It's a good movie. Check that out. And, um, of course, thank you to the team players, Jarrett, Guillermo, Joe, Chad, and James. And also thank you to Melzi and Chloe, whose work on the show continues sort of behind the scenes. And uh, Melzi's going to be back on in a few weeks' time. And Chloe will be with me on Wednesday night. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Come back next week. Next week's going to be a good show, Ben. We're talking about nuclear fallout films. And our uh, special guest is the director of possibly the greatest fallout film of all time, Testament. Her name's Lynn Littman. And... Um, oh. I thought you were going to say Steve Steve DeJane is talking about Miracle Mile. I didn't know you got in. Uh, we can't uh, we can't wait to chat about her about the incredible 1983 film Testament. It's just yeah, it's so good. Anyway, any excuse now, Ben, to play a flaming lip song will be taken on this show, and I am about to leave the leave the people with Yoshimi battles the pink robots, and that's from the uh, the definitely maybe soundtrack. And uh, that's a fun little daddy-daughter movie that few people seem to uh, talk about or remember, but it's kind of like an American version of Love Actually, that one. It's strange. I've never like seen it. it. Oh, I like it a lot. You'd like it a lot, too. Anyway, have some, uh, have some pink robots, people. We'll see you next week. Uh, it's going to be a fun one. Ciao. Bye.
But you